Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of the ABA Journal's Legal Trailblazer series. My name is Victor Lee, and I am an assistant managing editor with the ABA Journal. Today, I'll be chatting with Michael Mills, co-founder and chief strategy officer of Neota Logic Incorporated, a company that developed a no-code software platform with which non-programmers can build expert systems to automate advice, documents, and processes. Previously, Michael had been a partner at Mayor Brown, as well as the Director of Professional Services and Systems at Davis Polk. He served as a consultant with Kraft & Kennedy before starting Neota Logic in 2011. He is also a Director of Pro Bono Net. Welcome to the show, Michael. It's great to have you. Good morning, and thank you very much. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself that I didn't cover in the bio? <laughs> what made you decide to become a lawyer in the first place? Sure. I, I became a lawyer because it was a way of taking action in the political and social realms. I uh, was very active in politics, very active in a whole variety of social justice movements, and law was a way of effectuating that. Uh, I ended up in private practice of the law and continued my other work uh, as a volunteer at a number of organizations. But law intellectually was a way of getting things done in a complex world. Great. Now, I remember we'll, we've spoken previously, and you had talked about your experience, uh, I guess, first at Mayor Brown and then, at, and then at Davis Polk. And one of the things that you mentioned was that you were probably one of the first, what we now know is today, as uh, chief knowledge officers when you were at Davis Polk. Can you talk a little bit about that role and like, how did it, how was it pitched to you? Why did you decide to take it? What did you think when your partners first approached you with that kind of a role? Mm -hmm. Davis Polk had been a, a true pioneer in the use of technology in law practice going back to the late 70s. It was one of the very first firms to offer every lawyer in the firm a device on the desk. It had integrated uh, email and full-text search and all kinds of things that people took for granted 25 years later. The firm, although it's a very traditional one in its practice, a green goods financial services law firm with a worldwide reputation, it had been a pioneer in thinking about process. And in the time that I was a partner at Mayor Brown, I had been the founding chairman of its technology committee and as one of the founders of its New York office, I'd been very involved in thinking about how we practiced. Uh, I ran recruiting and office administration and some other functions in the firm. And Davis Polk, although it had an extraordinary technology staff and uh, leadership on the office side, decided that it would be helpful to the firm to bring aboard someone who had deep practice experience. By then, I'd been a lawyer for 15 years in active practice, who also understood technology and operations to focus at the partner level on the ways in which the firm practiced. Uh, and that led to the creation of what was then a truly pioneering role. And I was responsible for what today would be called uh, knowledge management and practice services. I also ran recruiting and business development libraries and was uh, co-head of technology in, in the firm as well. And I, my time at Davis Polk was devoted to what today we would call thinking about uh, process analysis, practice management, project management, data analysis, and those sorts of functions. 
I was fortunate to join in a soon after that in a community of folks across the country uh, who had similar roles. Uh, Jeff Rovner, for example, uh, Osban Amram, Brent Miller, and others who were early pioneers in bringing to the practice of law some of the discipline of uh, engineering. Gotcha. So what made you decide to start Neotologic? I mean, you could have stayed, you probably could have stayed in the big law field or even in the law firm world. Uh, what made you decide to start to go out and start your own company? Well, I started the company with two other lawyers like me who had decided after some years in law practice to get into technology. Uh, the three of us, uh, all co-founders of the company, believed that in 2010, the world of law practice was coming to a point of dramatic change. One could target it to the beginning of the recession in 2008, but we had pegged it a bit later than that. A confluence of constraints and demands upon law firms, demands from their clients for what Richard Susskind so succinctly describes as simply more for less, the challenges of uh, corporate general counsel were similar. They were being pressed by their clients, their internal clients and financial officers and executives to reduce legal costs. And yet, at the same time, corporate legal problems were expanding. The regulatory world was getting more complex. Businesses were globalizing and uh, successful businesses were expanding. So the more, from the general counsel's perspective, was more every day, and yet the pressure to do it for less was very intense. If you have those kind of mirrored situations between big law and uh, big corporate law, we thought there was an opportunity to bring in technology that could uh, improve those processes. So with some trepidation about the legal market and its sometimes slow uptake for even the most obviously useful things, uh, we launched the company in early 2011. I do want to ask you about that, just what you said regarding the uh, adoption of technology within the legal industry. But I do want to ask, there was one thing that I had mentioned in the bio talking about uh, no-code uh, no software platform. What is that? And, and how can lawyers use it to enhance their practice? Well, there are two parts to that question. The How do you use it and uh, how do you enhance the practice? Uh, on the law firm side, we do two things. We help uh, firms build tools that internally improve their efficiency, their knowledge management or quality assurance or process management tools. And on the client-facing side with law firms and some of our most visible stories, customer success stories are in this, it's helping law firms take expertise that they already have and package it within technology to create a product out of services. The Harvard Business Review published an article a couple of years ago by Mo Sawney at Kellogg about the importance for professional services firms of productizing services in a world in which costs are costs and speed and responsiveness are critically important. The traditional models, the, the guild craftsman model of professional services, and it's not just law, it's also management consulting and accounting and other areas, that traditional individual craftsman model doesn't work. So you find the highest levels of professional services firms like McKinsey creating uh, product divisions. They embed in software their expertise. So McKinsey Solutions, for example, 
and other management consulting and accounting firms have done the same. We enable law firms to do that. The no code, the how do you do it side of it, is a recognition that uh, programmers are scarce and expensive and traditional programming models with languages, whether it's C-sharp or Java or JavaScript, doesn't matter. Um, those are slow and craftsman-like ways of building things. So we created a tool that has uh, most of the work being done with a kind of drag-and-drop interface in which if you want to sequence a series of questions or forms on screen, if you want to build substantive legal rules about what to do in these circumstances, you can do it with a drag-and-drop tool that we can teach uh, any person. Um, we can teach lawyers, legal assistants, uh, business support types, analysts, uh, very rapidly how to use that tool. All you have to do is be a, a clear and logical thinker. The computer science part of it goes away. We have taught more than 300 law students to use our software within a few weeks so that they can build uh, access to justice applications in the course of a semester. So the no code is designed to bring programming to a much broader audience of people Generally, in law firms, it's not the busy partners or lawyers who do that. It's practice support people working with them. But we have plenty of lawyers who've learned to use the software as well. As someone who has been involved with the adoption of technology in the legal sphere, where do you think the legal industry is as a whole when it comes to adopting technology? Uh, there are two kinds of technology. There's the infrastructure stuff, which uh, the industry has been surprisingly, a, a pioneer in word processing was practically invented in the legal industry, as was document management. Uh, so in some ways that serve the traditional parts of the practice, the uh, legal industry has been very aggressive about adopting technology. The latest wave of technology, the technology that really affects how people practice, the firms have been slower about. I think the cautionary tale is electronic discovery and the tools of machine learning used in e-discovery, whether you call it TAR or uh, predictive coding. Uh, those are machine learning, statistical probability kinds of tools and very advanced, very powerful. The industry has, has had those tools at its hand for a good many years now. They get better and better year by year, of course, and they are by no means ubiquitous in, in the profession. We in the industry tend to criticize law firms and partners for being slow to adopt technology. I'm not sure that's fair. I think, yes, there is some unwillingness to think about changes in the industry generally and how technology might address those changes. But I think when it comes to specific technologies, I think, in fact, the big law firms that I know well, anyway, are reasonably knowledgeable and make pretty good return on investment decisions. They are constrained, not, I think, by the inability to make decisions, but by the compensation and other business models of the firms that tend to inhibit investment of all kinds. That is, a group of lawyers, a practice group, can be quite sensible about deciding whether to invest in a particular tool to improve their practice. But the firm as a whole because of the way in which it reviews the performance of the lawyers, because of the way in which it decides on partner compensation, and because of the business structure 
that causes every dollar of income to be taxable in the year that it was earned with no ability, as corporations do, to have retained earnings. There are structural impediments to the effective adoption of technology. But I don't, I don't think in the case-by-case case that they're, uh, they are attitudinal or uh, cultural differences. Sure, there are you know, some senior lawyers who just wish this whole thing would go away. But um, I think these are structural problems rather than uh, adoption or uh, attitude problems. Well, one thing that everyone seems to be talking about these days is artificial intelligence and whether it's going to take away jobs in the legal sphere the way it has in other industries. What role do you think AI will play in the legal industry moving forward? It's going to play uh, a very powerful role. And I say that because it is playing a very powerful role in every other industry. And that is only going to accelerate if you follow, as I do, and my colleagues in the company, because we're an AI-based company. We pay attention to developments in this area. And uh, every day, there are really extraordinary signs of progress in uh, the use of software. And in the end, AI is just software. It's software of a particular kind. And as a very thoughtful analyst at Andreessen Horwitz said uh, recently, a few years from now, no one will be talking about AI companies. They will just be talking about companies that do useful things because AI will be, as SQL was, SQL was a generation ago, simply a technology that is incorporated in everything we do. Uh, the institution of the SQL database standard radically changed the way people thought about storing and saving data. And very quickly, with some cultural differences and slowdowns, uh, SQL became part of every piece of software that anybody built, the idea that you could have easy and comprehensive and powerful data persistence. The same is going to happen with AI. Uh, it is simply part of the software tool set. With that general statement that the industry is not immune from what's happening in technology generally, I think you can also be more specific, that there are functions in the law, the organization and classification particularly of documents, and the instantiation of processes and rules and substantive outcomes for which AI is perfectly suited. And although the examples today are in the hundreds rather than thousands, that trend is uh, very, very powerful. And one can see that in the attention that it's getting in the industry, the number of conference talks and conferences devoted to the topic. Sure, there's a hype cycle, as Gartner says, but that hype cycle, that famous Gartner graph, does end up with the adoption of these things. Uh, there are ups and downs in getting there, but the forward path is absolutely clear and uncontroversial. Gotcha. In your intro, I mentioned Pro BonoNet and your role as a director there. So can you talk a little about how technology can help people who are in desperate need of legal advice or representation bridge you know, that access to justice gap? Sure. And I, I appreciate the question because it's a profoundly important one for the country as a whole. The statistics from the Legal Services Corporation are very dramatic that more than 80% of the people in the country do not have legal assistance to deal with uh, critical problems, domestic violence, housing, uh, loss of credit, veterans benefits, and so on. The numbers are appalling. They're embarrassing to us as a country that believes in the rule of law. There is no way that uh, even uh, expanded and dedicated work by lawyers serving in a pro bono role can meet that gap. There's no way that 
funding for, through the Legal Services Corporation or any other channel is going to hire enough lawyers to provide traditional service to solve that problem. Technology is essential. Neotologic works with the Legal Services Corporation, Pro Bononet, and dozens of not-for-profit legal organizations around the country, building tools that enable those organizations to serve more people more efficiently. It is the same more for less that is essential in the corporate legal practice, but it's on a dramatically bigger scale. The solutions are much simpler to build. It's remarkable in some of the hackathons or in the work that we do. We can build applications within days that save hundreds or thousands of hours and allow lawyers in the not-for-profit world to serve more people. These are, in fact, remarkably easy to do with the technology that's available today. So there's a reason that the Legal Services Corporation in its technology summit a couple of years ago and the ABA in its Commission on the Future of Legal Services said technology is a critical part of uh, solving this problem. And LSC in its technology roadmap set out five key technologies, one of which is uh, expert systems and process management that can improve the way in which uh, we try to address these problems. Pro BonoNet is a not-for-profit technology provider, technology and change management provider. It's been around for 17 years now and works with uh, organizations all across the country. It's LawHelp program, it's Pro BonoNet service, LawHelp Interactive, which churns out well over half a million documents a year for self-represented litigants who would otherwise uh, be unable to complete complex court forms. That is an example, and there are dozens of other organizations like it across the country. Great. Um, so without giving away you know, your next few years of your business plan and whatnot, what are some things that you're working on at Neotologic right now? What are some things that we can expect from you guys in the coming years? I think there are three themes for, for us. Um, the first is hybrid reasoning or hybrid AI. The core of our software is uh, a proprietary and remarkable inferencing engine, and yet we have designed that so that we can incorporate any algorithm that you need to solve a problem, whether that's a financial algorithm from Excel or from Wolfram or a machine learning algorithm from one of the contract analytics services. So for us, the third wave of AI is this combination of different tools to solve problems. There is no one algorithm, or as Noah Weisberg at Cura likes to say, there's no one ring to solve all AI problems uh, or all process and legal and compliance problems. So our software is designed and our company is focused on being able to create very rapidly applications that use any available algorithm, whether we write it or another commercial company writes it, or as is the case these days, there are many open source algorithms. So our software makes that very easy to do. Second theme is data. Our applications generate data as people uh, go through processes and uh, answer questions, reach conclusions. Those applications generate data in large volumes. And as with data analytics in the law, in corporate law, and in law firms, we're doing more and more with data analytics collection and presentation. And then finally, process. The world is a place in which things happen in sequence. There are multiple people who need to be involved. You need to keep track and coordinate. 
And we are continuing to develop heavily our workflow capabilities, as well as our document automation. We've been doing that for years, and we continue to enhance it because people want to do that. So those are the, the directions, I think, uh, being able to incorporate any algorithm to improved workflow, improved document automation, and a big concentration on data. Great. Well, that was uh, all I had. Thank you for joining us today, Michael. If uh, our listeners would like to get in touch with you for whatever reason, what's the best way to do it? I think just my email. It's mills at neotologic.com. Or stop by the website, and you'll find the email address there as well. Great. Thank you very much for joining us again. I know you're very busy, and so you know it's always great to chat with you. Thanks very much, Victor. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the ABA Journal's Legal Trailblazers podcast. If you like what you hear, please check us out on iTunes. In the meantime, this is Victor Lee signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.